0: to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of BASE
1: Beauty Creative Agency. Hello again, it's Jodi Katz, your host for Where Brains Meet Beauty. This podcast series is my side hustle. I do have a day job. I am the founder and creative director of BASE Beauty Creative Agency. We're the omni-channel branding agency, hyper-focus on the beauty and wellness industries, today's episode was quite fun for me it's with joseph cortana he is an expert in fragrance and where fragrance and fashion merge but most important to me is we went to high school together and junior high too so it's a little bit of a walk down memory lane i hope you enjoy this show last week's episode if you haven't listened to it is with matthew stillman he's the founder of primal derma hope you enjoy the shows So, for all of our listeners, I'm excited to say that today I'm joined by Joseph Cortana. He's the founder of Parfum Cortana. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty.
0: Thanks for having me, Jody. It's a pleasure.
1: Um, I want to give a little background to our listeners about how we know each other. Um, and it, this is a little bit of an oddball for our <laughs> podcast, but we actually went to high school together.
0: Yes, got reacquainted. I was just thinking about it about four years ago was our 20-year reunion, so it's already been four years, which is kind of mad.
1: I know, we can have a 25-year
0: reunion in 2018. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. We I, I should. Why not? <laughs> but, yeah, it's crazy how time has been flying. So.
1: so we knew each other in high school and then, you know, disappeared from each other, and then we we're at a reunion and reconnected, and for sure we we're the only two people in that room in, in our industry.
0: Yeah, that and it also also that left that area, I think, <laughs> (laughs) Kind of like resituated to New York. There's a few others actually, but for the most part, you know, it seems like they all set up shop there, perfectly content in suburban New Jersey, which is fine. Hey, no judgments. But I had to get out, and I think you did too.
1: Well, I went out, and then now I'm back to suburban New Jersey, and I
0: love it. Oh, you're so based in New York City. So yes,
1: my heart and soul. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But I think it's just so cool because um, you know, when we were 15 and 16, we never would have known what the future had for us.
0: Oh, Jesus. No. I mean, I never in a million years would have imagined, firstly, I'd be working in a creative industry, let alone perfume of all things, you know. It was not ever part of, like, the possibilities. And the fact that I worked in fashion, too, for 13 years, that also was not even on the radar screen when we were at West Essex High School. <laughs> like,
1: That's in North you know, Caldwell, New Jersey, Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Famous alumni, David Chase, Creative Sopranos. No, oh, I didn't
1: know that.
0: Joe Piscopo. Uh, I didn't know that Saturday. either.
1: How do you know that? You
0: grew up around the corner from me, weirdly enough. Yeah, we have a few. Josh Saviano from The Wonder Years. Went to West Essex? Actually, he went to... He went to my elementary school in North Coldwell. I think he only did one year at junior high in, like, West Essex, like, West Essex Junior High.
1: Right. He would have been, like, performing his high school years.
0: Yeah. I knew him because he also, he, he lived in West Caldwell, which is the town I grew up in before I moved to North Caldwell. So we moved the same time to North Caldwell, and I was, like, kind of friendly with him because he was on commercials, and then he got the Wonder Years and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's not completely anonymous. You know, there's some people that are interesting that came out of that
1: that place. Well, I'm sitting with one of them right now, so let's talk about um, life in the fragrance business. How how did this happen? You said it was an accident or the surprise.
0: Yeah, well, I was a buyer in the fashion industry, um, designer-level buying, um, like I said, for more than a decade. It was fun, great experience.
1: Where were you working?
0: I founded my own shop, actually, Um, it's called 7 New York, Uh, I I began that in 1999. and it was, you know, conceived to be a laboratory of sorts. Like, the Miguel adrivar's shop had just closed down at this time, in, in back in 99. He went on to become quite famous. The industry really blew him up, and he became a, actually a victim of sorts because he had, he crested there, and then they kind of pulled the rug out from under him. And he lost his financing, and he's like... He's in the where are they now sort of category, which is sad because he was like the darling of Anna Winter. Anyway, he had a great multi-label shop and it just closed down. I saw, and also a, another boutique that I was really inspired by called Sharivari, which was, I want to say like up here on 57th and Park, something like that. Madison, I forget the exact area. I really sweated that place and uh, they had just closed. So I saw, you know, some... Um, some room, you know, in, in the marketplace for, like, interesting kind of cutting-edge fashion, but more on the experimental side. No one was really doing it back then. So, because we were awash of that sort of Tom Ford, decadent sort of Gucci stuff he was doing, you know. Uh, and I was very good friends with three as 4 They were actually my wife's mentor, Gabby, Gabby anyway, and, you know, so I sort of saw what was going on from the inside and from their perspectives and they needed good retailers that would take chances on them. So, you know, at the time I was in, I had just finished, um, this is totally strange, but I did a degree in finance uh, in college and my parents some, somehow entrusted me to a lot of money to invest for them, this is during the tech boom, and I made them a small fortune. So they gave me really? seed. Really? Yeah, we got so lucky, and we got out before the bubble burst. And I guess it was '99, you know. But yeah, Jesus, we made like I, I made them like a hundred percent return. It was, it was completely bonkers. You know, it's totally mad. I would never have, you know. It was kind of akin to gambling, um, doing momentum investing. So anyway, uh, that's how I got seed money. So you know, I was never actually. I never had to answer to anyone really. My parents trusted me; they're like, "Do what you want." So, and from you know from the get go, seven New York was always very independent. Like,
1: how old were you at the time? Ninety
0: nine. So yeah, twenty four.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I was doing all the investing from like twenty, mean twenty two, twenty three, like that period. So. Um, so yeah we never had to answer to anybody so you know we started it and you know had a nice little stable of designers
1: wait you didn't have any experience in the fashion industry you just no, watched and I had a business admirer. degree
0: and I likened you know um, putting together a stable of designers to managing a financial portfolio it's the same exact thing so you know, you're going to make money on some, not on others, uh, so on and so forth. As long as you know your net return in the end, when you add it all up, is okay, then you're in good shape. Um, so, and then there's like intangibles, obviously, but not to complicate things. So anyway, you know, I, I had some stars right from the get-go back then. That I, I, you know, I guess I saw that others didn't, and then you know, we grew with them. And
1: like, who so. was that minute at the
0: time? Well, I was this, not the first, but the second shop in the U.S. to carry, for example, Raf Simons. He's now at Calvin, and he was at Dior, you know, Jules Sander before that. We became pretty tight friends in the 2000s. Um, but, yeah, I worshipped his work, my God. I still do, to some, you know, not as much today, but um, but I think he's a genius. And I was just surprised that no one else was really seeing it. So I picked his collection uh, back from, in, like, 2002, and it sold well from the get-go for me. So, um, But, you know, a, a ton of different designers over the years, like Heider Ackerman, um, Peter Palotto was first to have. Um, gosh, right, hang on a second. got to think because it's been a few years now. Let's see. Um, there's a lot. Let's put it that way. If you look up 7 New York, you'll see. Um, but anyway, the point is that I was getting kind of bored with that, you know, the things that were kind of rolling and by like 2007 I was kind of looking for a new side challenge because it wasn't, it was full time work, but it really wasn't, you know, it was kind of keeping the wheel spinning. And
1: was it like profitable? Were you like rolling in it?
0: Yeah, at that time we were finally making money, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and then of course the recession hit so everything changed. (laughs) Um, and the first challenge kind of came along and then our landlord started to bully us and put up scaffolding to kind of harass us to get out of the space because they realized the lease that we had was actually like they had under, you know, signed you know, what I'm saying? Like, it was worth a lot more than what they had committed to so we went through this bullshit of four years of dealing with scaffolding and we sued them and we lost and that was really the end of my shop unfortunately it was horrible, very distressing Um, and anyway, in 2008, a friend of mine approached me, um, we had done some charity work together, his name was Kaya, and, um, he had an opportunity, he was consulting for Cody, doing fragrance work for them, and he had an opportunity to develop a, um, a a little boutique collection of fragrances—anything he wanted, you know—they they would give him the talent to develop the formulas, and he had no ideas. So he's like, "Joe, do you have any any ideas to? Yeah, you know, we have this opportunity." And I'm like, "Yeah, I. Uh, why don't we do fragrances for?" You know, the, the indie superstars of the fashion industry, like those that are big enough and influential enough on the industry that they should have a fragrance, but they're maybe not necessarily big enough to actually have a fragrance, you know, because you have to be doing at least like 50 million business to really justify having a fragrance and all of the time effort investment that goes into it, blah, 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 blah. So that was our little shtick and by having six designers instead of just one, we were able to reach factory minimums and stuff. So that's how Six Sense was born. It was that concept. So we did a first collection of six different designers that I from a buyer buying perspective thought were really superstars and in influencing the trends. And they were who was that? Uh, for the first collection, it was Alexander Herchkovich, Bernard Wilhelm, Cosmic Wonder, um, Gareth Pugh, Jeremy Scott, who's actually quite famous now, he's one that really blew up, and Preen. So I had a nice little geographic sort of distribution, you know, like one with Japanese, one is English, one is Brazilian, Alexander. Um, German uh, so on so it was a nice balance of that they're all like they're all super creatives and I was expecting just to you know to have like mind bending fragrances from them because I told them they just don't hold anything back you know like you supply your vision instead of to apparel to scent so, let's so how
1: would they do that like how would they know how to do that
0: well, so we created a system, basically, to kind of get that out of them, um, and then working with the, the nose, you know, um, sharing that information. So there's a lot of questions we devised, basically, to kind of steer the whole process. Of course, it was showing runway imagery and and all sorts of inspirational material that the designers work with in order to conceive their collections, how they work, so on, favorite music, blah, 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 you know, different media, so on, um, just to give like the perfumers as much... Um, stuff to work with as possible to create, you know, to carve something out of thin air. And so we tried not to get, Kai and I tried to take a back seat and let things happen. We just wanted to ensure that, like, it would be, like, the wow factor was there. And then, of course, we designed all the packaging and stuff. You know, we took care of that and the marketing and the PR and um, the nuts and bolts, you know, the operations and stuff like that. So... Um, so we didn't really get involved in what and I so, sorry, the, so the designers and the perfumers like kind of backed and forthed it, you know, for a few months until both were happy. And they only got us involved if they were like, listen, you know, we like this one and we like this one. So which do you guys like more? We're like, Okay, that one. <laughs> so but otherwise we were like hands off. You know, it was like totally laissez faire. Um and so anyway, we launched it in um gosh, that would be the end of 2008, I guess, yeah, and it was a, you know, from the get-go, it was a big hit. We got a ton of press, to our surprise, you know, all over the place, and a lot of accounts, like Colette picked it up straight away, Uh, a lot of good concept shops, you know, everywhere. Not so much perfumeries, not so much department stores, but a lot of fashion concept shops, was kind of what I was expecting, given the relationships that I had with those buyers, and I knew a lot of them anyway. And I just thought it resonated anyway with that kind of client. And not, Plus, I didn't know anything about perfumeries back then, honestly. I didn't know anything about the perfume industry, for that matter, really, other than, like, I like it, and I think it's a legit medium that has, you know, some potential to do interesting things. So...
1: How so, funny, uh, though, isn't it? That like you know you're such an industry outsider.
0: Mm, um, I think that's half of what you know makes makes it interesting. Is because I, I you know I'm not classically trained by any stretch. You know so you know you have that ability to think outside the box, to to ask the question: Does it have to be this way? Maybe not. You know, and that's like a great like creative brainstorming technique is um is is the method of um, you know questioning assumptions
1: but why do you think these designers trusted you
0: Well, I had a track record of having a very successful boutique that was known around the world. So getting that first slew of designers was easy. They all said yes. They were like, cool, we love the idea, you know? Because
1: they're friends at that point? Yeah, you know,
0: I mean, we we have professional relationships, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there was a trust element, certainly. They knew I have their best interests at heart, that I'm not, like, you know, skin them for money or Mm -hmm. something. And, you know, honestly, we didn't make anything the first collection. Like, we barely covered our costs. We weren't intending to. It was really about... You know, getting something interesting out there, and it was for charity, anyhow. Okay. So all of them, always, we gave a uh, an amount of money to charity. So you know, in a practical sense, it was kind of a write-off for all of us. But for the designers it was really a chance to kind of like create a fragrance because no one really gets that chance or at least back then it was not commonplace at all Um, and you know it was a way of getting their feet wet and seeing like how it works and you know like come on what fashion designer doesn't want to create a freaking perfume that's their dream and also it's how a lot of them, especially the more creative ones, make a living anyway. I mean, think about it Issey Miyake, Terry Mugler. Terry Mugler relaunched their collections with uh, Formichetti, you know, what is it now? It's like eight years ago or something, strictly to sell perfumes. Like, that company is a perfume company. And they do collections just to create hype to sell the perfumes. Then they got David Coma, and I think did a marvelous job, and now it's that guy from uh, Reading. Um, I was surprised at that appointment. I forget, but he's not really as famous as some of the other ones. But anyway, you know Miyake. I mean Donna Karen for sure. Um, a lot of them. Um, that's their bread and butter. Comme des certainly. So you know I can tell you from having worked in the fashion industry for so long that unless you're really, 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 really big and you're owned by Carrying or LVMH, they don't make money making money for them is breaking even. That's successful. You know, there's so much overhead and it's very expensive to develop collection after collection and to show it, especially in Paris because, or anywhere in Europe because you have, you can't just trade a model for clothing, they have to get a minimum of like it's like a thousand euros salary. You know, there's all these labor laws and stuff that just it's 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 a it's a hobby of the wealthy. Put it that way. You
1: know um, okay so you had this successful collection in the sense of it was well received and we put um, out
0: another and we put out another. Oh so
1: how many of them were there?
0: Four wow. in total. And um, and the always one, with like
1: innovative designers that you felt in a yeah, family for
0: exactly so mm-hmm. the second series had Philip Lim, who went on to become quite big, Demir Doma, who's big in Europe, but not so well known here, Very great creative, um, Henrik Vibskov, who's Denmark's biggest designer, hands down, um, Henry Holland, who's a UK designer, who's a lot of fun, um, Richard Nickel, who sadly passed away a few years back, and then Toga, who's one of the better designers from Japan. That was the second series. Um, that I think is our strongest, actually, and that got nominated for a Fifi Prize. Well, they were called Fifi's back then, the Fragrance Foundation Award for Best Indie Series. So that you know, that kind of helped to put us on the map. We didn't win, but being nominated, like, hey, suddenly we're somebody. So,
1: and know, How did got... how did the award show even know of you? Like, did you have to do a PR push or no?
0: Just... No, it just we got like a letter or an email or something. We we were surprised. Actually, for the first series, we won a bronze lion for the can like packaging awards it was just like it showed up in the mail
1: so (laughs) you weren't like campaigning for these awards
0: no 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 i mean we had a very big pr campaign just for editors Mm -hmm. you know like in in north america and in europe and uh in japan um and yeah, it was sort of, I don't know, a side effect, I guess. But back then, things worked differently. You know, like you had a lot more traction with hiring a publicist back in 2009. Now you don't. Um, so yeah, like it just happened and we were surprised. Um, so it was nice, you know. Uh, and we got more shops, obviously. And, you know, so, you know, for the second series, we picked up Ten Cours Como in Milan and uh, Seoul we did the launch party actually for it in their Korean store just beautiful beautiful shop Um, and then we did a third one and we got nominated again and that time we won Best Indie to our surprise so that was a crazy story because Kaya even though he's in New York he couldn't make the I wanted him to go. We're actually both quite shy people, and we don't like the spotlight at all. And I happened to be in Singapore. I was an invited guest for Singapore Fashion Week. So I was there on the other side of the planet. And... I had three free days, so I was like, you know what, I'm going to Bali, I'm going to chill out on the beach. Actually, I got invited to DJ there, I got invited to DJ for the opening of the W Hotel. So that's really why I I was there. You were a DJ? I do that, I moonlight, Uh (laughs) I moonlight. Um, but I've gotten some interesting gigs over the years but anyway so I you know and I, I, I DJed at a club there too so it was like W and that but it was really really a holiday you know to decompress I just finished the whole buying cycle of six weeks and anyway Kaya's like you gotta come back and attend the awards at Lincoln Center because I'm busy and I'm like what do you mean you're busy you're in New York just go I'm, I, I gotta fly around the world you know to, to give me a break and he's like no. I mean, he was just very stubborn in that way and he would just be like, nope, you're going, and hang up on me. And I'm like, you know, I know he's not going to go, so I have to get my ass on this plane and go. So So he
1: knows that you know that he's not going to go.
0: Yeah, I go, and this is the best, okay, we can't afford a ticket to get in, okay? Tickets (laughs) to get into the Fifi Awards are like, freaking $1,200. So all we could afford is a garden's ticket. And that's like you get to sit outside and watch the awards on television, okay? And it's a cash bar. I can't even get wasted, you know, after my ordeal of flying back. So, you know, our category was coming up. It was close to the end. Best Indie, you know, best Indie fragrances. And so I went up to the security guard manning the, the entrance to, like, the whole festival. And I was just like, by the way, you know, like... We're not going to win, but in case we do win, can you let me in to accept the trophy? I basically flew here from Bali, so would you mind? And he's like, he felt bad, so he's like, you know what, just come in now. So I didn't have a seat in this theater, so I was just like hanging out at the bar and just getting sauce. I was like, you know what? Screw it. You know, I'm just gonna get some of chug wine, and <laughs> numb my pain. So our category comes up, and lo and behold, we win. And I have to go up and now accept this prize. So I was just like, oh my god, this is so freaking surreal. And so I go up, and, you know, I'm, like, sitting there staring at Mary J. Blige and Halle Berry. They're all staring at me from the front room. Paz de la Herd, I was the host that year. And I was just f- scared, like, poopless, and just reeled out some whatever, thank you so much, blah, 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 get all that stayed, done, and went in my head and then slept for, like, 36 hours. And
1: by that time, are you making money? Uh... So, like, just trying to break, um, break even. It was starting to
0: turn the corner, actually. Like, our revenues are really growing by leaps and bounds. But the, the problem is, okay, so initially, Kaya had invited me on to really be the business guy in the arrangement. And the problem is that I had my big fair share of problems with my boutique because at the time we were doing the lawsuit against my landlord's and we were getting killed by the recession. Although we were hanging in there. We, we would have survived if it weren't for that that cursed scaffolding, you know, that was like deliberately keeping customers out of my shop. Um, so I had my hands full with that and I couldn't mind all of the nuts and bolts of the fragrance company. So I basically entrusted Kaya to deal with it all. And he wasn't really doing that. He he's he's a great marketing guy, but when it comes to nuts and bolts, paying bills, and all that, he kind of let things go. He didn't file taxes. I mean, things like that. But I blame myself as much, so I'm not I'm not going to come down hard on him because I should have done it, but I was too busy. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you still have a relationship with him?
0: Mm. I'm getting there, <laughs> I'm getting there. Um, so we were we were bringing in a lot, but a lot away. I mean, we did a New York launch party for the first series where we spent 25 grand renting a space at the new museum. In my world, that would never happen because that's just dumb, you know. But, you know, Kaya likes to walk tall and stuff and I get it and, uh, you know, so I was like, when I found the bill out, I let him have it. I was like, are you kidding me? You know, so... This is this friction of that sort that kind of started to accumulate over the years. It's just like not common sense at all. I believe in the lean business model and running things tight. But so anyway.
1: Who was in your fourth series?
0: So, okay, the fourth series. That was the trickiest one because at this point we had like chipped away at all the designers that I really thought were like that had a lot of long-term potential, you know, that I thought were also making a big wave and impact. You have to understand that this was like 2012, and already like the shakeout from the financial crisis was happening, so a lot of designers had gone out of business and it was a shakeout, classic shakeout. And or the other ones that were doing well, that had deep pockets, already were developing fragrances. So there was it was slim pickens. So we did manage to get a solid crew together. So we got Boris Bajan Sibari, a fantastic menswear designer. I'm very surprised he said yes. We got KTZ from London, who's huge in streetwear. Um, Raphael Young who is a French shoe designer who unfortunately lost his financing but he was slated to be the next Louboutin didn't happen sadly but he's still uh, active in the game and tremendously talented That Shoe Repair which was like the sensation from Sweden at the time but they also lost their backing sadly um, VPL which is Victoria Bartlett's New York project that also lost its backing so again shake out Um, And who am I missing? Hang on. There's one else. One other. Oh, my God. It's going to come to me. But anyway, long story short, we got kind of, you know, reamed over by our European distributor. Um, So it took me four years, up until really like two years ago, to get... Um, new financing, and then to develop a new collection altogether to kind of get the ball rolling again. I want to put out four properly because it deserves to see the light of day. It got a good press acclaim, you know, and um, but yeah, it just never saw the day. So obviously some of the, those designers were a little bit sore. Um, our distributors were sore. Um, I was sore because it should have gone
1: out. So, you know, you talk about this and um, it really is sort of like one obstacle after another, you know, with some awesome stuff, awesome sauce in between. Um, it's a roller coaster, truly. Yeah, but you seem still like at ease with the fact that it's a roller coaster. Are you?
0: Well, I'm kind of used to it just from having, again, dealt with the fashion industry and all the ups and downs of that. So I don't like it. I wish there was a lot more stability. And I'm running things in a much more stable way because I'm over it. I'm too old. You know, like I want to have some stability and predictability, but not at the compromise of the integrity of the project. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still going to throw caution to the wind, take chances, and take risks creatively. But I know how to do it now. You know, whereas before it would be, let's see what happens. Now it's a lot more calculated risks that I'm more comfortable doing. it's just experience, you know what I mean? Right. And and also the whole concept of validation. Like after I read the book, the Lean Business Model, the, sorry, the Lean Startup by Eric Ries, I read this back in 2013, and that just changed the game in terms of how to go about developing any project, let alone a creative one. That book applies to how to develop software, really. But it's you know with a little bit of meditation, you can see how it applies to anything, whether you're doing candles or eyeliner. Or, Apparel, whatever. Um, so, when I did, so anyway, um, finally I got financing to. Well, no. First, let me back up. Firstly, I got the chance to develop um, another new collection. So, what happened? Unfortunately, so since six Series Four never, since Series Four never launched, g Vedon pulled their support out from developing the, any more fragrances for us. They were pissed, as they should be, because you know, we never produced it. We, we failed. Um, so I was like, lovely. And now I have no fragrance partner to develop anything else. Like, I'm really ho- left holding the bag here in, in the worst of ways. So um, I happened to run into two former executives from Gimedon who had decamped over to Simrise. I ran into them January 20... Let me see. That was January 2014 at Elements, which is a fragrance trade fair here in New York. They're like, Joe, do you have any good ideas? Because we are looking to back a new project, you know, like lay something on us. And That's I really
1: like, like you see somebody in the hallway, and they're like, hey, like that happens? Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen often. I mean, literally like that day, the stars lined mm-hmm. up. You know, it was just a super lucky break. And I happened to have been meditating on a new idea. Um, so I, I was like, yeah, um, poison flowers. What do you think? And they're like, eyes f- popped out. <laughs> heads so they like oh my god that's genius why hasn't anyone thought of this and, you know and they're like come to the office monday we're totally doing this. this is amazing and i was like well that was easy that was the easiest elevator pitch i didn't even pitch you know they just asked me so i was truly in the right place at the right time so lucky so my my fortune reversed that day truly that day um and I had just gotten the ideas. I, I was watching, you know, um, Breaking Bad. <laughs> and in, in that show, Walt, the protagonist, as we all know, the chemistry teacher, he used Lily of the Valley to poison someone in the show. Oh, I didn't know it was poisonous. Yeah, so did I. I didn't know Lily of the Valley was poisonous. I knew it was like a big fragrance accord, and I knew there was plenty of old lady fragrances done with Lily of the Valley. And it got me thinking, like, you know, wow, what if we kind of spun lily of the valley as a poison flower? That makes it kind of badass, you know, like, because it's like grandma's scent otherwise. Right, it's like it's a boring. Right. Oh, It's like horrible. Like, it would be caught dead in it? So it's like, this is an interesting way to kind of spin florals, you know? like and So I was like, oh, certainly this must have been done. So I started to do research, and it turns out it really wasn't. I mean, there was like scraping the surface, like we have poison by Dior, right? okay? But that's like this amalgamation of like some snow white folklore and, you know, fairy tales and stuff. And like, um, is it Belladonna? Like, it's not clear. It's just like this really loosey goosey sort of, you know, it doesn't even smell poisonous. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Um, there is of course opium by YSL, which was really just about a drug. I mean, a psychoactive drug. But it is a poison flower, and it has been used for poison purposes. So I did the research, and I compiled this whole list of really compelling poison flowers, and I presented them to the noses at Simrise, and basically, and of course, the executives who had asked me. And, you know, all of the perfumers kind of volunteered for the respective poison flower that resonated with them. So it was a volunteer thing, which is cool, because that means they were excited about that particular Mm -hmm. one. Um... And, yeah, we got the ball rolling from there. And, you know, like the back and forth thing on that, usually when it would, I would develop a fragrance series, we're talking three to six months, it's done. Because I wasn't doing validation. It was really like, all right, the designer's happy, the perfumer's happy, it smells pretty freaking awesome, let's throw it out there and see what happens. That was the old naive way of doing things. With this one, and it's not like, you know, we forced... A round peg in a square hole, or we really trying to—I sh- was not trying to shape it per se. I wanted it to be amazing. I told the perfumers, I was like, just take the gloves off. Anything goes here. Whatever you want to use, you know. If you've been thinking about an accord that you put out on the back burner, throw it in there. Let's see what happens. You know. So it was like they were, I'm not going to put a time stamp on this project. If it takes five months or five years, doesn't matter. This has got to be perfection. Perfection. So anyway, you know, like I, I had pitched the perfumers um, eight fragrances, you know, it was supposed to be six, and then two as options, and they were like, we wanna do all eight, and we wanna do a ninth, because David Appel is this great idea for Foxglove, Digitalis, if you wanna roll with that. And so I was like, you know, Digitalis or Foxglove was not really part of my short list, because I didn't feel it was a naughty enough, it didn't have a naughty enough backstory you know
1: i don't know anything about it
0: okay all of the perfect all of the poison flowers i should say that i initially developed i wanted them to be evil's not the word but wicked mm-hmm. okay they all have been used for like really nefarious ends assassination suicide black magic things like this you know there's a lot of like you know I, lack of or wicked stuff or like you know and it really epitomizes the truest sense of the femme fatale you know that woman who's gorgeous and a manipulator and she wears all black and she's deadly and you don't want to mess with her kind of thing that's what I was epitomizing you know really trying to capture the essence of that and trust me I've met a few in my day so I know <laughs> what they're like and there's men too so not to, need to cover off the other sex so uh, so, Digitalis actually, po- Foxlove, um, was the only really innocent one. It really didn't have any notorious poisonings attached to it. Really, what it was used for was by, by pagans to summon um, fairies, actually. It was actually quite a beautiful thing. Um, so, that's kind of what where we sort of went with that one. We made it really sparkly and ozonic to suggest these fairies sort of dancing around you. It's super ozonic, actually set along a nice wooded creek with crisp flowing water. It's quite aquatic.
1: What word did you just use? Hazonic?
0: Ozonic. Ozonic. Like ozone. Ozone, got it. Yeah, think about like that feeling in the atmosphere after the thunderstorm. Right. That static in the air. Ozone, or the ozonic qualities to a freight, or an ozonic accord captures that. It's very interesting. It's really one of those fascinating accords. Um,
1: so we're running out of time, so I want to fast uh, forward okay. a little bit, because um, you sort of have uh, both a, a, high, a work high and a, a personal low all in one day okay. around the fragrance um, industry awards recently with Cortana. Can you okay, walk us yeah, through what happened
0: yeah, there? Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. So, um, Anyway, so I, I launched uh, the collection of poison flowers. is called Les Potion Fétale, and it's by Parfums Cortana. Uh, I launched that f- technically in September two thousand and sixteen at Pitti Figranza in Florence. And out of the gates, it did really well. I got a lot of distributors and you know pretty good press and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. It's been slow going but steady. So it's what I, you know the most I can hope for. I'm grateful. Um, So the nominations then came out in February of this year of like best indie fragrances. And you have to understand, like I put my heart and soul into this collection Literally like two and a half, three years of work compared to just say six months for any of the prior six cents. I was like convinced I would get at least a nomination for best indie fragrance. So the nominations came and went, and I didn't qualify. So I was a little bit crushed. I was like, ah, well, you know, whatever. You win some, you lose some. And anyway, I won it already once, and I was nominated two times. So doesn't lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place, right? You know, as it turns out. And this is only announced like two weeks before the actual ceremony because it's a totally different type of prize. I got nominated for Parfum Extraordinaire, which is a totally different prize and much higher up and better than Best Indie. Um, This one is a blindfold test for starters, so there's no weird politics involved or like greasing, you know, but it's a total blindfold test where all of the big development houses, so Samurai Juvudan, Saga. Cody, blah, 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 all of them, they evaluate in-house of, like, what their favorite fragrance is for the particular year. So all of their noses, all their evaluators go through, and they're like, we're, this is our best one. And it's blindfold, too. So Simrise contacted me, and they're like, listen, you know, congrats, we're nominating Poppy Soma, um, which is yours. So that's a big thing. Maybe you'll win Perfume Extraordinaire. It's not a big chance, but we're putting it out there and so I was like, well, thank you, Jesus, what an honor, I was so happy just to be nominated, of course, um, so anyway, the, the, the awards happen, you know, I show up, um, the category of Parfum Extra, comes up, and, you know, I was up against some biggies, and I didn't really think I had a chance, you know, a, a snowball's chance in hell, and I won, and I almost fainted, and whatever, so you know, déjà vu. Go back up to the stage, all freaking out, and um, you know, like
1: this time, did you have a ticket? Could you afford the ticket? this Yeah.
0: Time? Well, actually, Simrise was very kind enough to buy me Great. the ticket awesome. because once again, I can't afford twelve hundred bucks. You know, <laughs> we're tight still. Um, so yeah, I won Perfume Extraordinaire for Poppy Soma, which was the fragrance, the poison flower that was kind of loosely based on the whole, you know, um, folklore of opium and. And this magic drug of um, relaxation and dream and sleep and hallucinations and warmth and sensuality. That's really what it's about. It's a smoky, warm, sensual one. Anyway, um, so the craziest thing is that that very night, you know, by the way I was abstaining from drink um, for that particular month. I I thought it was time to kind of give my liver a break. Because I do enjoy wine. So for a month, I was sober. Didn't drink at the awards. I went home that night, like 1 a.m., and, you know, just my wife was already sleeping. I was just kind of relaxing in front of the TV to come down from the high of, like, having one. And I started to get this, like, most horrible cramp in my stomach that I I didn't recognize. It was one of those cramps that, like, well... You know, it's not normal. Something's a little strange here. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where I was down on all fours um, in agony. By 4 in the morning, I had to wake my wife up. I was like, yo, we got to go to the emergency room. Something is not kosher right now. Like, I don't know what it is. And I was, like, sweating, and literally my face was ashen, you know. it's like, something ain't right. Let's go. So we go up there, and at this point, I'm screaming. You know, they had to give me a morphine drip mm. as soon as I arrived at NYU, um they do sonograms, MRI, x-rays blah 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 they're like, yeah guess what your gallbladder is basically exploding if you, if you had waited like another hour to get here you'd be a dead man That's crazy yeah and I was like what you know And I, you know so yeah I almost died the same night I won one of the biggest prizes in perfumery and here's the crazy thing here's the here's the clincher is that I don't believe that things, everything happens for a reason. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in synchronicities, and I think that in during the course of my doing this project, all based on death and poisons, I think I, 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 um, I, I kind of I looked at something, and it, I looked at death, I looked at the darkness, and it looked back at me. I think I tempted fate, you know? Um what are the odds? Uh, You know, especially that there was no symptoms that presented itself. It's just really strange. Really, really, really strange. But I can tell you, this whole collection came from a very authentic place. Um, It was very cathartic for me because the frustration and the, the venom that I had built up Having lost my boutique and you know twelve years, thirteen years of my life doing that, having lost everything really to that, having almost lost my fragrance company during the divorce with my business partner, having been totally screwed by my uh, my European distributor, it all culminated in me and I was walking around with some dark ass energy that I needed to release and so it basically manifested as this poison flower collection right and it's real.
1: inside of you and you cut it out oh yeah uh-huh.
0: and you know believe me once i finished the collection i felt much better i was like ah oh, i got it out it's kind of like painting a black photo or a black painting you get it on paper and you're like ah oh, it's now it's there it's not in here it's not in my heart anymore I got it out so it's real it's authentic and you see the the poison flower fragrances are, they smell, slightly toxic. There's a wickedness to them, for sure, a real wickedness. Um, and so, yeah, um, I, I, so anyway, I had to get two surgeries, um, and fortunately today I'm in recovery. I'm good, you know. I didn't die yet in touch wood, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it was pretty major because, um, yeah, the surgeries take like six months to recover from, so, um, yeah, I had to learn how to digest food again and... But anyway, it's, it's it's all a blessing. Um, I thought it would affect my creativity. It's been the opposite. I'm just flowing. You know, it's really amazing. Um, but I'm out of challenges. But you know, it's all for the best. So you know, it's weird. You know, it's like this. So it's like the chapter two of my life officially begun that night when I won the prize and almost died. Right. <laughs> so
1: thank you for sharing that story with us because um, you know the symbolism of it is you know pretty intense. Um it's but not, also,
0: right? I yeah. Mean, you can't make this stuff up.
1: But you're just so honest with um, the roller coaster ride that you've been on you know and I think that for someone who's a stranger to you looking in they think like you know everything's so easy right and fabulous oh, geez, right no. and it's, um, it's it's the opposite
0: like the opposite there's no fabulous <laughs> so
1: we probably could spend another hour talking together but we reached our limit for our oh, podcast
0: yeah. there's always next time isn't
1: there? that's right <laughs> so um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and that's honesty absolutely my pleasure um, I know a lot of People who are really fascinated with what you do are going to enjoy hearing the behind the scenes. I hope so. I that.
0: hope I can color their day, you know, positively.
1: For our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes, and for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast.